This is episode 008 with Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Welcome to Be Contagious. My name is Coach Hernando Planels Jr., and I'm a college basketball coach who believes that leadership is the key to everything. Each week, we bring you stimulating conversation to help you discover ways to be an inspirational force with the people around you. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get contagious. Coach Nick joins Be Contagious, and today we talk about Jordan versus LeBron, leadership, how we have to coach today, and how he's taken b-ball breakdown to the next level. You're going to love this one, guys. All right, guys, we are back. We've got a great show today on Be Contagious. We have the one and the only Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Coach, how you doing? I am good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here with you. Well, I tell you what, if you guys don't know what Coach Nick does and the empire he is building over B-Ball Breakdown, you guys are in for a treat. He, he's ba- and he'll tell you his story, but basically... You're from Chicago, screenwriter, love basketball, coach high school, boom, just take it away from there. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I think for a lot of my uh, post-college career or life, uh, I was writing screenplays, I was acting, and I was trying to you know, sort of uh, make that all happen in Chicago and then in L- to L.A. when I moved out here. Um, however, I did, you know, still, I coached in my old grammar school, I coached in my old high school, I play a lot of pickup, and I was, you know, I was pretty good. And I always felt uh, that I was much more passionate about basketball, even while I was writing screenplays and really dedicated to that and trying to make that happen. And so uh, it was just a weird thing for me to try. And as I would, you know, think about it at night, I'd be like, gosh, I I am. I I think I care more about basketball. And I kind (laughs) of resisted that for a long time. And then, um, I don't know, I was working a lot of production on, on film and commercials, but it wasn't getting me anywhere closer to selling screenplays or whatever. And, um... Actually, the, I got out of being in production because I screwed up something, almost screwed up something so colossally that it was probably like, you know, the gods telling me that you better get out of this position. <laughs> but like something like, you know, I was working on a job and they wouldn't hire an extra PA. So I had to like do three PAs jobs in one. And it was like all night. And then after working 12 straight hours from, you know, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., I had to go return three separate trucks and take cabs in between each one to return it. So, of course, I left the sound tapes in one of the cabs, yeah. you know, because I was like, I had four, I was, you know, mixing and maxing and all these different things. I got it back and nothing happened. There was about two hours of harrowing, you know, where's this cabbie? I always find him, but I got the tapes back, but that was it. Uh, that pretty much was like, you know what? I'm going to get out of this business. <laughs> and uh, so I started, you know, teaching and then I met a, a mentor of mine who became a mentor of mine uh, at Birmingham High School and I uh, started being his assistant basketball coach. Right. And um, that's where I kind of really got into, you know, formally coaching a lot more. Although, remember, I was a basketball manager at Wisconsin, so I had had right. all that experience, too. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird time where I was resisting the whole uh, basketball thing for a long time until, you know, I finally jumped into it. Yeah, and we'll get into it later on, but obviously the, your production experience has been huge in terms of, of b-ball breakdown. Kind of give the rundown of what b-ball breakdown is to a lot of our listeners. Obviously, there's a podcast, there's a YouTube channel. There's everything under the sun. You break down everything. Talk about it a little bit more. Okay. Um, wait, so you want me to talk about the podcast? No, you know what? Let's, or, just, let's just talk about the brand in general. Okay. And then you just go with it because I think it, it's for all the people out there who are trying to build the brand, you did it by yourself, molding the production world and the basketball world you yeah. loved, and now all of a sudden right. it's done great. Well, it's a lot like, um, like Slumdog Millionaire where... <laughs> 
you know, you have, I have all these, the most random jobs throughout my entire life doing this and that and mastering these different things. And it kind of feels like you're spinning your wheels, you're not getting anywhere, and it's like, you, you know, you're 30, and you're like, what? I, all these like fake milestones you might have put on your life, like, I better do this by this age, and I better get married by the, all those different things. And then all of a sudden, you know, here I am, and I realize that, geez, all that experience led me right to where it needed to be. Right. So all of my improv experience really helps me when I'm on camera. And all of the production experience that I do really helped me with when I was an editor and now when I'm doing, uh, you know, doing film shoots on courts, and on, on court demos and all that kind of stuff. So it was really like one of those moments where you're like, geez, this all helped me. It was all the experience was good. And it's just kind of hard to notice that until you do. And... Um, that, you know, it's invaluable in a way that I kind of had to go through all that difficulty and that sort of um, wilderness to get to where I am. And then all of a sudden, it's oh, it's clear as day. It's real easy to get, make all this stuff happen in the branding and building this whole thing up from scratch. I mean, of course, it still took me, you know, I mean, here I am seven years in, although probably more like four years full time at it. Um, and, and we're still still figuring this out, this whole thing out. Right. Now, of course, you were a high school basketball coach for three years uh, head, bar, head varsity coach over right. Birmingham High School. Um, talk about that experience, obviously going from production to teaching and then now having your own team on the court every single day. And now you could try all the different things that you wanted to. Um, dropping stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was really interesting too because there was certainly a lot of things that I, um, that I felt uh, about basketball and about fundamentals that I never... Having been an assistant, you have to support the head coach and you have to do what they want you to do. And yeah. it was really easy for my the mentor I coached for uh, at Birmingham the first time around. But, um, you know, there were things I thought, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. And I, even though people have been talking about doing this for years and how you coach this certain thing, it never really rung true. So I, it was kind of a lab for me where I got to really, you know, throw out, like, can I make the triangle offense work in high school? Really do it. You know, we never really done it. We tried it when I was an assistant, like, for half a year, and then my, the head coach just went away from it all of a sudden in the middle. And so I really wanted to be able to, like, you know, develop that. And let, how do we teach at the high school level? So it was a big lab, uh, shooting stuff that I was slowly coming up with um, that really kind of, we, we refined more of it. And so that was really exciting. And I think the players also gravitated toward that as well. They were realizing that, you know, we're doing some stuff here that, like, no, a lot of other teams aren't, and we're learning in a different way. Uh, you know, and with all the growing pains that I went through, and the, I could do a whole book on you know, the proper way to take over a program from somebody else. Right. Um, I don't think anyone's really talked about that enough. Uh, and um, it, it would go a long way to helping me for a lot of my issues that I ended up having. But um, certainly, it was really, yeah, it was an amazing experience to be able to have that and, like, have it be a lab where we can kind of experiment with making up drills, you yeah. know, and, and doing it the way I always wanted to do it. Now, you mentioned earlier the triangle offense. I know that that was a, a your baby. Yeah. Very long time. I'm sure it is now, but... I know you've had some great experience, I think, with Tex Winter, I know, you know, Phil Jackson, and them, that crew ran it you know, with the Bulls and the Lakers. I mean, talk about that. Well, it was funny. You know, when I, I first started coaching uh, uh, as an assistant at, at Birmingham, and um, my coach uh, was a Bobby Knight motion coach. And you would walk in the gym, and it would be amazing. It's like squeaking feet all over the place, and they're running, and everything's yeah. going on. But it was kind of like chaos because half the action they were running would never have been a thing you would have gotten the ball for. Like the ball handler doesn't even see it. It's happening too far away. It's not purposeful enough. And my mentor thought the same thing. But I'm like, you should look at the triangle because I grew up in Chicago, and I just kind of knew it just because you watched them run it. Yeah. And um, and I, I might have even had the book. No, I'm not sure I had the book yet. So I, I mentioned it to him because, no, nah, I don't want to do it. Well, it just so happened that it was the same year that Phil Jackson took over the Lakers. 
And so now my mentor got a chance to watch him more than he ever did when they when they coached the Bulls. And he calls me after like the first couple of weeks of the of the NBA season. He's like, Nick, there's there's reverse action, there's movement, there's, it's everything we need. I'm like, I told you. So we bought the book. We and of course it's really daunting when you look at the triple post offense book that yeah. Tex Winter wrote in '62. Um, but we bought the book, and then at some point that summer, at, I don't know if you remember, but summer league used to be in Long Beach. Yeah, the NBA at summer the league, was in, the pyramids, right? And, uh, you know, it's a little drive down from here. No one was there, right? We had our coaching shirts on, and we had a clipboard. So we just walked right on the floor. No one bothered us. They thought we must have been coaches for something. And uh, Tex Winter walks by, and I basically accost him. I'm like, Coach, I'm, you know, Nick, and I, you know, listen, I grew up in Chicago. I did this and that, whatever. Gives me his card. And next thing you know, we, we, I get to chat with him, you know, as much as I can on the phone, or we sit down, and I meet him out sometimes. And we'd go through the offense and really discuss how to teach it. And... And so that was a really cool, you know, experience from the guy who invented it to really, you know, figure out how he taught it, what he liked and what he didn't like. Um, and that's how we formed it. And we ran it for a little while um, in the high school. And then my, my mentor went away from it. And so obviously when I took over, I was really excited to like say, we're going to be a triangle team and, um, and we're, we're going to show that you can get threes out of it. And, 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 and you don't need like, you know, superstars to run it. And it, and it really, we were able to prove that. Now, what... What is inside of you to go ahead and stop, like Tex Winter, who is, I mean, a basketball icon, you know, in terms of the triangle offense, everything else. I mean, a lot of people see someone like that walking and like, oh, that's Tex Winter or that's such a coach and not say hi. Obviously, there's something that's in you. I don't know if it's how you were raised or it's just passion you have. Like, what's inside of you for you to do that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I might lack that social decorum gene. <laughs> Uh, a little bit, you know. It's funny because I'm going. You know, you go through your kids, and your kids end up having a lot of the same traits that you do, right? And now we know so much more. So it's like, you know, my son has certain struggles, you know, behaviorally or whatever. And I'm like, and it's funny because they they want to make it, you know, seem like it's a thing that we have to fix or this and that, whatever. Right. I'm like, well, that's part of like what made me talk to Tex Winter, you know. Uh, and I might, you know, and I might get in situations where it doesn't always work. They don't, they don't quite get it. Uh, that I'm totally misread. Like, uh, should we call him out? Should I call somebody out? Ah, what the hell? Right. Um, you know, like, I, I tried to say hi to Bruce Bowen, just right. like I would have done Tex Winter. And it was a nightmare. And the guy, I don't know I don't know what his problem was. I don't know if I caught him at a bad time. But it was the most, it was the strangest, like, five minutes I've ever had where I just wanted to say hello and introduce myself and just tell him at the finals. And I was covering right. it. And um, he, he, you know, like, w- was really upset uh, that I, I don't know, I don't know with what I said. Right. And, uh, you know, and so, but for the most part, (laughs) it usually works out. And so what is it? I mean, you know, you do have to have a certain, um, you know, a comfortableness, comfortability with being, if it's not awkward, it's some sort of uh, out of your comfort zone. You have to be able to get there and be there. You know, you go to a party, you don't know anybody, right? Like that's a similar thing. And like, okay, now what do you do? Uh, it's like, you know, you play pickup with some, uh, in a random group of people. How, do you, how does that work, right? You don't know anybody. Hey, you, know, you have to very quickly get on the same page so they'll pass you or whatever. Um, so it, there is that notion. And I, you know, I grew up as a performer. My whole family is performer, we're performers. Uh, it's in our culture as it is to be, um, to, to have a voice, you know. And as an artist, and that's the other part of the thing. I, and I was an art major in college. Okay. So I was I, I, I painting and drawing, and there's a collaboration aspect to art to art as well that also I think fuels the energy that I have. Where I'm like, of course, we're all gonna don't we all want to talk about this? Like, who right. wouldn't want to, you know, maybe talk to me and talk, you know, about whatever the passion that they have too. 
So, uh, yeah, but, I, you know, there is a certain sense of lack of decorum. Um, <laughs> like, I remember, uh, so you remember the movie uh, Weird Science? Yes. So, I, that movie was on every day when the cable first came out in Chicago, right? So we watched it all the time. And um, in the, at the end, you know, when the, when the crazy people from, like, uh, uh, Mad Max or whatever attacked yeah, the, the yeah. thing, there's a, there's a guy who's trapped in the TV, and he's like, somebody let me out, right? Like, you know, and that guy is uh, Wallace Langham, who ended up being on, like, uh, Chris, Chris the Alley's show, uh, Veronica's Closet. Oh, yeah. Oh, and uh, Larry Sanders' show. You know, a minor but relatively somewhat well-known, certainly back in the 90s, uh, guy. And, like, I saw him in a restaurant picking up sushi. And I, I turned to my wife, my girlfriend then, and my wife now, and I said, okay, watch this. So I walk up to him, I said, you know, that, that time that you got trapped in the TV in Weird Science, that was brilliant, man. And he like, he's like, okay, now, now I'm scared. But, like, but we ended up having a nice conversation. The point being was like, there's a guy who I had targeted. Like if I ever saw him in LA, I was gonna go up to that guy. Right. I already made it up and I was gonna t- drop that on him. And I, you know, I did the same thing with, uh, I was at a wedding with, um, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I'll think of his name in a second because he's really, really famous. Um, um, anyway, the, he, so here, he's a really famous actor now, an English guy, and I, um, I, I can't believe I'm blanking. But um, what movie? Maybe we like, could, like he was Doc Ock and Doc Octopus and one of the Spider Men. Um, um, oh my God! Anyway, the point is, and I'll <laughs> we'll look it up it in a second. Guys. But um, the point is, is um, he was also as a, his first role was the guy who says. Um, he goes, give me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. Give me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. And it's Indiana Jones. Yeah. And then he gets the thing in his, in his head oh. you know, as he runs away. It's, um, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, anyway. so and I, I'm just drawing blank on the names here. I'm embarrassed. Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. Thank Alfred you. Molina. There Thank you. you go. And so I was at a wedding, and, I'm, and I, so I, I walk up to him. I'm like, your death scene in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark was, just, was brilliant, man. And he like, laughed because like, nobody knows that's him. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I get a certain you know, pleasure out of like, I, that kind of stuff. And it's probably similar to the Tex Winter, because like, maybe Tex Winter isn't easily, like, maybe people don't really know him necessarily. Uh, but I, I did it to Phil. You know, I walk up to Phil and just you know try to talk to him. Well, that wasn't hard, but it was a lot of people around. But you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know. There's that, it's that comfort that, that comfort zone thing that you got to get out of it, which is very cliche. Right. But um, you know, it's a th- it's a muscle you have, you have to actually work on and, and, and do. I, I, there's probably moments in my life where I don't do that, right? Yeah. And I feel like I'm not feeling us. it. And um, and I and I've lamented that. I'd like uh, like Adam Sandler walked by once. And I had written a screenplay, and I had submitted it to his company, and I really, it was around that time, and it was like kind of go around. I probably would be able to like you know, we, figure something out through that because I never got it to him. It got to like his partner and whatever, yeah. and I didn't. And I still think about that. I'm like, gosh, why didn't I do it? Right. So it's not always a perfect science, <laughs> and has a long answer to a question. No, no. Nonetheless, I um, love it though because by the way, when you hear that female voice, uh, audience members, this is a. Hollywood makeup artist Pilar Freeman, my sister, is here watching the show unfold right in front of us. But so, Nick, I'm going to keep on. The, the, your background, I think, is is amazing. So you were art major, basketball manager at Wisconsin, jumped in production, jumped to high school coaching. Now, I mean, you know, for a lot of our listeners who who think that you know, if they're coaches, this is all they do or this is all they grow up. I mean, you've used your experience to shape. Things into something that so many people dream about doing. So now I know I know coaches who call me and says, "Man, did you see that new b-ball breakdown by Coach Nick? Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I could do that." I mean, all those things you did shaped you to where you are today. Yeah, it, it is crazy. I mean, and there's that list is probably even longer. Uh, and I remember, like, I came out of the being a basketball manager, and I could have gone into that right away. 
And I would have been, I would have probably been a, a college coach by now, right? Or, you know, assistant on whatever. The problem was I had already had friends who had done that a little bit and ahead of me. And, you know, I had seen the nomadic life that that was like. And, um, you know, I just never wanted to do that. You know, I didn't want to get stuck or not stuck, but like, you know, you could be the best college assistant coach in the world and you're going to lose your job when your boss gets fired. Yes. And there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, and that's, and I've, I've always sort of, that's the other thing about me is that um, working for myself was always a thing that I wanted to do and I did best at. And, you know, I never did that well uh, working in offices. You know, I could do it and I could be, uh, a, a good worker and a good team member, but um, there invariably comes a time when, like, the boss is it's hard to deal with. Or maybe I'm hard to deal with, whatever it is. <laughs> and, um, and and I just never did well. And I never really had an office job either, sort of because of that. That's why, um, and, and I never had a problem with being, you know, as a PA on a, com- on a commercial or on a film, you never know where you're going to get your next job. And I know a lot of people probably can't handle that. It's hard for their lives to be that way. But as I'm already sort of chaotic and energetic and, and, and disorganized to some degree anyway, that um, it, it kind of, um, I, I enjoyed that more. I didn't have a problem with it, having it be so up in the air, especially when you're out of college or the, the, in your 20s. Um, and again, uh, that, that sort of those, these false milestones everyone wants to put in and they put pressure on themselves. If I'm not, if I'm not a head coach by age 32, then I'm right. quitting, right? It's just not the way to go about it, you know. And um, and you know, again, could I have been a lot farther along had I known earlier or whatever? Yeah, but then I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been a good um, communicator or as good as I was. I wouldn't have learned all the stuff that I've learned since then about either production or performing or writing or editing, uh, you know. And so, and that, that one other thing is, I was always that guy, no matter what I did, who would would observe as keenly as I could. So, so important. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I'm driving a truck on a, on a commercial, I could have been the dude who's like smoking a cigarette and sitting on the on the on the gate, like not paying attention, just waiting until they, they wrap. But no, I'd be on there on the set staring at the director. I wanted to be a director, and I'm staring at him. What is he doing that works? What is he what doing? It's not working. When I was a manager at Wisconsin, like I could have just zoned out and been standing there with a ball and a towel and just not listened. But I really focused on Stu Jackson, like what he was saying, how he carried himself, what was working. Uh, and, and absorbing that. And so, um, you know, that's, that was the, the active, like, listening part of it, which is always, was always sort of ingrained in, ingrained in me. And I think that was uh, an important part of it. You don't, no matter what the experience might be of the job you don't like, there's something you can take away from it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it really grabs me that you just took leadership of your own life. Like, you, you became a leader in your own life. And I think a lot of people talk about leadership when they're talking about other people. But in order to get things going in their life, they have to have that some sort of leadership within themselves to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to think like what, where that was modeled for me, uh, you know, in, in, in a sense. I mean, my dad, you know, had his own like law practice and started that from scratch. But like, you know, as a kid, you don't really, you know, you walk in this office, it's, it's hard to get that sense. Yeah, Especially it it's a different generation. Like I think about how I raise my kids and they see me. Much more, more, much more vulnerable, vulnerable than I ever would. My, my parents were like these perfect pe- beings, right? They never complained. They never, right. uh, they, they never slept late. They never, like, they always had. They were always just there. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious to find out, like, 20 years from now, what my kids are going to say about me because they see me in every state of, uh, of existence, uh, from, from angry to, you know, uh, upset to, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting you know, notion of how that is because it's like I, I, anybody can learn how to do that, right. right? And some people might just be inherently better. But that actually, we can, get, we can talk about that as well for the coaching thing because you know, we used to say, oh, Phil Jackson, he's a great communicator. He's just born that way. 
You know, he just has that thing. But I disagree vehemently. I think you can learn a lot of the techniques and make it a technique that you use to help, uh, you know, get closer to what you need to be as far as a communicator. You know, doctors have all those bedside manner classes. My, my wife went through it, and they have these fake patients, and you have to, you know, mm -hmm. triage them, and, and you learn, and they grade you, and they tell you, and you could inconceivably, you could conceivably learn, oh, I better not say that, or I better look, I better raise my eyebrows more, you know, whatever they say. Right. So, I mean, listen, if you go back and watch my old, my first few videos, it's frightening how bad they were, <laughs> right? And they're still there. I leave them up there. And every once in a while, someone sees it, hey, remember this one? And it's like, I, and I'll look at it a little bit. And it's like, I had to work at it. I went to speech coach. Right. I, 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 had, I mean, there's no shortage of actors in LA. So I had them all come in and like, you know, consult with me, tell me some tips, you know? So I learned like, blink, you got to blink. Yeah. You can't just have your <laughs> you eyes open. You can't just stare at the... <laughs> you know? But did you think your first... Like when you first filmed your first couple of videos, did you think they were really good? Like you're like, you know what? I got this. Gosh, that's a really great question. Um, I know I do. I'm like, well, I was really good. And then now I'm like, oh, I yeah. was horrible. I don't know. I, I don't... I, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit... And that's, that's one of my biggest faults is I'll be more pessimistic than I should be. And that, that leads you down a really bad path and, and like, you know, negative brain stamp. And like we, I got into that with coaching a lot of the psychological stuff. And, um, and then through my kids, I've really got to get into it as well and how we're raising them um, and the power of language. Yes. And so I get stuck in that where I no, I'll definitely be harder than myself than anybody. And when you, if you see him, you're going to know. I, I, there's no way you would have looked at me like, oh, yeah, this is going to turn into like the, you know, a huge YouTube channel and everyone's going to love him. Um, I got some interesting advice. I had gotten, you know, in the beginning, a friend of mine was a consultant to, to internet stars, to YouTube stars. So back then in 2010, they had like 50 or 60 people in the world who right. just like clowned around on the camera and they were making six figures and it was amazing. And he's like, it doesn't matter what it sounds like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Well, in the sports world, that was not true at all. That's mm -hmm. why it had to look and sound like ESPN and be broadcast quality. Luckily, I knew what that was like because I had worked on that kind of stuff before. But uh, in the beginning, I, I, just, I was listening to this advice, thinking, oh, I'm just going to roll out of bed. My hair is I mean, there's some crazy hair ones. Uh, <laughs> and then the background looked terrible. I was thinking, you know, in my, in my guest house. And so, um, so I don't know. I don't think I did. I think um, I, I can remember, like I think I mentioned before we started recording, that when I finally got to the HD and I got the background looking better and the lighting better and the sound uh, and when I saw the bump, that's what got me going. That's what got my juices. I'm like, okay, now we're onto something. Um, and it, it didn't take that long, but it certainly, you know, it was enough time to experiment in the beginning. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about your talk about from a coaching standpoint in terms of the, the mentality, the words of affirmation or positive words or how you speak, I think is really, really big. I think you're seeing it in, in, in today's sports world. I think what you see in coaching... No one really knows what happens being closed doors when it comes to coaching and how that's affecting kids. Um, how's it affecting from when they go to high school to college? Maybe that's why there's a lot more transfers. Um, I know you, we talked about it a little bit, but I'd love to, for you to expand on it. This is the part of the podcast, if you're a coach, that you want to really listen to, yeah. uh, I think, because you know, I, I, got, I took over in 2010, and I, I felt like I had the X's and O's down pretty well. I knew what I wanted to run. I knew I could come up with drills. We can, you know, I knew I had all that. What I wanted to improve on was the psychological aspect of it and how to properly motivate players. And, you know, I have books from the 20s that talk about players who, are, who don't listen to the coach, they don't play hard. You know, mm -hmm. it's like this is not a new thing that we just all, these players today. Yes. This Too has many been people that say that. Yeah, it, it's, they, they've been saying it for hundreds of years. And, you know, it's the fact. There's no sense complaining about it. And you'll hear these old, like, NBA coaches who used to play. You can hear the frustration in their voice. Like, you know, Sam Mitchell, for instance, when he was talking about coaching uh, the, all these youngins in Minnesota, 
you can hear the frustration in his voice when he would talk about how they came into the league and they didn't have any of the fundamentals. They didn't know footwork. So you can only imagine if it's coming out like in a radio interview that it probably is coming out while he's trying to teach them that stuff mm-hmm. at the NBA level, if he's even going to try. It's going to come out, and that's going to turn them off. Because in my mind, if I got a kid who's got the NBA, he's 20 years old, he hasn't learned how to do a left foot pivot, for instance, or something like that, it would be like, this is awesome. This is like your first time watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right? Like, right. We're, this is gonna be, we're gonna experience this together, and you're gonna get it like that, and we're gonna be, you know, it'd be really great. And, and, and instead, you can get the opposite, where you're like, and I, by the way, I, I'm not a saint. I did this too, that's why I know. You know, you can be like, wait, what's wrong with you? What did you, what did, what, what did you learn before? Who did you have as a coach? Like, and I, and believe me, I said that when I took over my program because I had players that didn't know how to take a step and pass and have a, their thumbs pointing down on a mm-hmm. two-hand chest pass, which, by the way, is a fake fundamental. But um, <laughs> at any rate, so language. So anyway, I hooked up with a guy at some point through my trials, my 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 uh, travels with B-ball breakdown. Uh, I went to the Sloan um, uh, Sports yeah. Conference, which is uh, analytics and all sorts of stuff. Really in great speakers. Yeah, it's at MIT, or MIT sponsors it. It's in Boston. And, um, and so there's a guy there who, I don't remember how we hooked up, but he's a Tony Robbins guy. So we all know Tony Robbins, right? Um, and people might make fun of him, or they might want to take him seriously, but the guy, first of all, is probably like a multi-multi-millionaire. Like, he's yes. built a business that's really successful. He gets it done. And, and, it, and this is not charlatan stuff. This is stuff that is next level, and he hasn't even scratched the surface with sports, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, but it's language. It's the power of uh, NLP or something like neural language processing, I think right. is what it is. And, and I was like, it instantly, it instantly grabbed me because... Like, I grew up with a Bobby Knight-style coach. I had a guy who made Mike Rice look like Mother Teresa. And that was a sixth grader, you know, not even college. And I always felt like there's got to be a better way than this. Right. You know? And we played hard, and we were tough, and whatever, and no one played it, whatever. But, but I just felt like there's got to be a better way. And so he was talking about, like, for instance, one of the best things he said was, he goes, you know, you could angrily yell the word no in a game at a player. And you can reduce that 17-year-old to a 9-year-old that just broke a vase in the house and the parents just yelled at him, right? Yes. And think about that. Like, I'm sure everyone has known at that moment, like, oh, God, I just, you know, when you're young and you, you, you broke something, you know you're in trouble. And that emotional equilibrium gets thrown off. How long will it take that kid to get back to even? 20 minutes? Yeah. 30 minutes? Well, guess what? The game's over in 30 minutes. How is he going to hit a shot for you? How is he going to, like, make a good pass or read the defense if you're like that? And so all of a sudden it's like you don't want to use the word no, and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Like because yeah. you know you don't want to say that, but like it was a very powerful moment when you start to realize how important that is, and it took me months to kind of even even halfway assimilate anything he was talking about. But you know, I, one of our big mantras is no middle, mm-hmm. and what I liked about it was is that we we're in practice and like that's our big, our, you know, all the coaches no middle, no middle, and we know how to angle our feet and force right. the baseline. And when the games start and we start doing that, it almost puts them back. Oh, we're just in practice. We're just running our practice drills. That's kind of what I wanted. So I just, I determined for that instance that no middle is one word. <laughs> no middle. So it's not no the middle. word no. So it's not no. It's you know. no middle. Yeah. You know exactly. There's no space. But, you know, it was a challenge, but that's how seriously I wanted to take it. And then another thing he told me, which was, I thought was also really great, was he goes, okay, in the beginning of the year, pick a word or a phrase that don't use it hardly a lot, but every once in a while, like in a practice, if something really good happens, say that word or say that phrase, just, you know, just to use it. But not a lot, but use it. And 
So that year, I, 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 did, I guess I only did it one year, one year, but that year I decided to use Gangnam Style as my phrase, because that was when that, that song came out. Right. So, you know, backdoor on a layup or whatever, and he scores, and I would stop the practice. I'm like, you know what? That was Gangnam Style. And they would all make fun of me because I'm mispronouncing it, whatever. And I'd do, you know, I'd sprinkle it in every few weeks. I'd use it, whatever. Because you've got to be funny, you know, it's somewhat right. at high school basketball level. There's got to be humor or else it's, it's tough. You do. And Laughter then, in your environment is huge. So we're playing Grant at Grant. It's our we play home and home every year, and it's the big, the big rivalry. It's always no matter how good or how bad the teams are, it's always an intense, close game. And they were every year I did it was like the crazier than the next. So we're at halftime, and we were playing lousy, and we're down. And I swear to God, we're sitting there, and I look, and I just ended end up dropping the word Gangnam Style. I swear to God, they all like set up, and their eyes opened a little wider, and they almost a smile. We went out there and like just tore it up in the third quarter, and right. I and I felt like I was cheating. I literally felt like I had cheated because I had programmed them to respond to that word and that phrase. And you, when I was talking earlier about like bedside manner and how you can learn it, that's just a technique. Yes. Anybody can learn how to do that. You know? and, and maybe they don't sell it as well or whatever, but that's a little practice. But those are the techniques that you can use to become uh, to really get, motivate your players a lot better. And now you take all, a lot of the emotion out of it. Right, and you know, you know, I, I never responded to histrionics and screaming and yelling. Even though I listen, it was mo- that was modeled for me. We're talking about what was modeled and what wasn't. Modeled was angry and yelling and 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 getting in their face and yelling at the referees and all these things. And um, you know, I I, I I I try to evolve, you know, as much as I can. And now I do it, and I see it in like my kids' school and stuff like that, where I kind of I just had to go in there and talk to them because they were doing you know, punishment for third graders. Uh, you know, if they if they lost a sparring match in fencing, and they they, they the, the winner got to tell the loser to do either push-ups or squats or run five laps, and it was humiliating, and it was you know what? a terrible experience. And, For third grader. Yeah, you know, <laughs> by the way, it's K through three. Yeah, and so I had to go in there and like could see this anyway. So. Um, I am trying to make sure, because it, it sounds a little bit kumbaya, and it sounds like, oh, they're never going to be tough, but I can guarantee you this. I practice this as much as I possibly could with language, and you ask any coach that we played against my entire tenure of, uh, at Birmingham, no one will tell you that we were not tough, right. and that we didn't play as hard as we could. And uh, I relish the notion of being able to say, listen, um, you know, do you think that you closed out as hard as you could? Well, maybe not. Okay, can you, is there more you can give us? And I, and I also got to the point where I'm like, you know what? If I can't, through that method, get them to see a potential that's higher than what they can see, then we are not going to win as many games. We won't be as successful, and I'm just going to have to be okay with that. Right. You know? And I think that that's, what, that, that that's the torque that coaches get and why they get so bunched up in their minds and in their, their emotional uh, instability is because they feel like they can force it. And maybe short term, you can kind of get kids to sort of run harder if you're a drill sergeant in their face. But um, I think if you can appeal to them and their sense of what they can do, and then maybe like, you know, give them glimpses into like there is a world beyond what you're doing that you can do, then it's, it's just a longer lasting, much more positive uh, experience for everybody involved. And, um, and I think that that's, that's what's more important. Right. Anyway, it's a long answer to a question. No, no, but I, I, I think you touch on something that I know, I'm pretty sure we have discussed, and I've talked to other coaches, I'm sure you have, is the fact that um, we are never taught to really coach, right? We, we are taught, you know, maybe great out-of-bounds plays, but in terms of dealing with people and talking with them and learning how to speak is huge. I and mean, we, well, we, we have these phones, right? And, and we download the, the, the newest app and and, and we upgrade everything, but we don't upgrade how we teach or lead or communicate. Never happens that way, unfortunately. I know. And it's like, 
you know, there's also a notion, oh, he can't, you can't change a person. You know, and, you know, like if you're married or you're whatever, you're in a relationship, you know, you always talk about like, you know, you're not going to change him. And, and that is, that is a, a, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be true. Mm. On that level, hey, I mean, it's a little different, but, you know, there's a level there. But certainly it's the notion of like, you know, if you're a doctor, every year, every two years, you have to get recertified. And you have to be, prove that you've gone and learned new things and new techniques. They do not do that in coaching. And in fact, they don't have anything like that in coaching. It's rudimentary. It's rigorous where you have to kind of pass, right. usually. It's like you, somehow you just demonstrate you know what you're doing and whatever it is, and then you get on to move on. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's striking to me that we don't have that more. Um, and I think that, that we're moving. Like we're, we're, listen, analytics are taking over. We're now learning that the game of basketball should be played a different way, like threes and layups or whatever. Well, I think that the next iteration I would hope, and maybe if I have anything to do with it, would be the coaching communication skills um, that would make it a much more um, positive thing. And now, by the way, you talk about recruiting. You talk about keeping the kids happy. Because the other problem is, is then, oh, you don't want any confrontation. You don't want your kids to leave. You're just being friends with them and hoping that they, you know, whatever. I'm like, no. I wanted to create a, a, an environment where they don't want to leave. Right. They don't want to transfer to high school, right? If they do, hey, listen, if you don't want to play here, please go. I don't want you here if you don't want to be here. Like, that's my take on it. But I wanted to, I'll bring in a strength and conditioning coach, and he's going to work with them. I'm not going to sit there having him run suicides when I know that he could be having them, you know, um, engage their glutes better uh, and get that cardio at the same time. And then I'm not sitting here punishing them for running, you know. That's what I want. I want to, you know, I want to, you know, bring in, uh, you know, people from other walks of life to talk about the way we should think about things, and you know, um, you know, from other aspects of, either, you know, like handicapped basketball players or whatever, expose them to stuff, kind of like the Phil Jackson thing, where he gives them books to read, to open their right. minds, like that's the kind of stuff I, I would want to do and create as a program, so that they simply would want to stay. You know, and that you don't have that that pressure like, oh my God, I, did you hear whispers? He wants to leave, and he's your best player, or whatever. And it's like, you know, that, that that's a tough way to exist. Yeah, and I, I think as as time goes on, I think it's going to be that kind of wrestling match between the the old school type of coaching, which is fear based in many ways, mm -hmm. and then also now in terms of the, the newer culture. I mean, you said earlier they always say that you know the the kids are just different today, and they're they're not different. They're <laughs> they're the same kids that they were. They may be raised a little different. They may have to face it. I know. I don't know if you saw the article um, about the Miami Heat and how um, they are the the best conditioned team in the NBA, and how some players don't even want to go to that team because they know they get pushed hard um, for it. So there's that type of pushback from time to time based on how the players like to be dealt Ooh. with, whether you're NBA college or high school, or how you like to be pushed, but. As coaches, we have to keep adjusting yeah. toward it, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and again, that's the Pat Riley method where he would – because I, I remember reading about him in the 80s where they would have these practices where they'd be running sprints the yeah, whole time. Yeah, the whole time. And um, it's funny because then you hear, guess what, like Byron Scott was doing that now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've learned a lot about the body and repetition of uh, repetitive injuries and, and, and the, the value and the shrinking value of, like, just, like, suicides or something like that. Like, my best answer was, okay, like, you do a thing where you miss a layup and then now you're running suicides. And I said, well – how does running suicides help you make layups? Correct. And, you know, it's like, you know, so if you want to drill, and this is why the fake fundamentals come in, if you want to drill that will get them in shape and also practicing layups, here's three that will help you, and it'll be a lot more fun, and it'll be a lot more skill-based, right. and you'll get better faster. And it's this, yeah, there's a Neanderthal, I call them Neanderthals now. Like even, like here, to give you an example of where I come on with the whole the fundamental stuff, you know, diving on the ball for a, for a loose ball. You know, it's that, it's that, you know, age old, like, get on the ground and dive for it, whatever. Yeah, come on. Yeah. 
And meanwhile, the worst position you can possibly be on the floor, on the basketball court, is on the ground with the ball, right? Can't move. You, they smother you for a, t- for, a, for a jump ball. Maybe you throw it and it gets stolen a lot of the time. And then maybe you can kind of throw the ball and maybe it gets to your teammate like uh, some of the time, right? Now, what if we taught our players to run like a third baseman going off of a slow, after a slow roller and he can scoop it? Mm-hmm. And now instead of on the ground with the ball, you're actually getting a layup out of that. Maybe it happens two out of ten times, but it's two more than you would have by just diving on it. Right. Now, Harden showed it to us last night. And I, every once, whenever I see it, I'm like, look, because it was a loose ball. These guys were going at it, and he didn't dive. He stayed like that, you know, doubled over and sprinted and got it and was able to get it and then call a timeout, and they were able to set up a play. It was huge, whereas uh, if he got on the ground and the other guys are scrumming, the ball pops loose, it's a turnover, the game's over. And so, you know, it's not every time. And, like, sometimes, like, there's certain situations that you dive, like, maybe it's out, going out of bounds or something like that, and there's no other choice. But it's just a different way of thinking things. And it kind of, I just react negatively to, like, the, the, the caveman stuff and in the over-excessive um, reliance on, like, the notion of, like, intensity and what that really means, right? And I think it turns away a lot more players than it actually uh, brings in. Uh, some players have that intensity and want to play that way, but... We also learned that you know there, there's there's an injury factor involved in playing that certain styles like that, and you can be just as effective when you're balanced and your mind. Oh, the other thing is when you get over aggressive, you don't play as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to play that way. My smoke was coming out of my ears, and I, I wasn't good playing that way. You know, and um, and that's what I, I worry about, and I see that a lot at every level. Um, and I, I would much rather tap into something different uh, to get that uh, hard nose play smart, intelligent play, and balanced play, you know? Right. Wow. I tell you, you talked about the hardened play. We're going to shift a little more to b-ball breakdown. I mean, you're on Twitter. You're on YouTube. You put all this content out. You even do live tweeting during games. Now a live <laughs> periscope, right? Yep, yep. So, I mean, how much basketball are you watching during the course of the year that's not playoffs? That is not playoffs? Because, you know, playoffs, you, you could maybe – watch one game or it's a back-to-back game. But when there's NBA oh, season, yeah. when there's four or five games a night. Well, I mean, certainly. So my days are structured where I get the kids to school, I come back, and then, okay, what's the video we're doing by, you know, hopefully I get it out by 2, 3 in the afternoon Pacific time. Uh, so I'm going through footage, you know, left and right on that, right, off the bat. Uh, and that's hours and hours, or whatever, and then editing it and whatever. So that's one thing. And th- that's the hardest part And is, you know, I, there are times I don't know what I want to do yet. So I got to watch to figure out what I want. Like, what's going to grab me from all these clips? But sometimes it's like, okay, we're just going to go over the, you know, the 10 threes that the Rockets made last night. That's easy because I can just grab the 10 threes. But so I got that. Then game time starts at four o'clock here, and yeah, I'm on the, I'm on my computer watching the games, you know, and I'm binding that. Well, I call it mine, you know, it's not mine anymore. And I'm binding and offering analysis, and I'll watch, you know, probably three games or parts of at least three to four games, you know, up until late at night. Um, and if I sneak into the house and see the family a little bit, hopefully, right. um, <laughs> you know, but and, and that's how it was even for like in the first several years. More recently, as we got a little bit bigger, I've, I've actually, you know, been able to like get out and hang out with the family more and just just be just be willing to miss something that might be exciting just just because it's more important uh, to be the family. But um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, constant nonstop. And at night, you know, before I go to bed, 
I'll probably be on the TV just kind of flipping through some stuff. If it's not a show I'm watching that's not basketball, you know, I'll probably end up, you know, reading something or going through whatever the latest latest thing is. And then, you know, the, the best part about the, the landscape now is podcasts, other people's podcasts. Right. So I can keep up with what's going on when I'm driving my kids to school back and forth and all that stuff. That's huge. And now it's funny. I don't even mind. Like, I think I would have been uh, upset about having to go across town to, like, pick up my daughter from some party or whatever. But now I'm like, ah, oh, don't worry. I'll just put, throw my podcast in there. I'll get a good 30 minutes of it in. Uh, and before she comes in my car and takes over the stereo, um, and uh, so that that actually makes it more worth it. But yeah, it's it's pretty constant, pretty nonstop when the season's going on. I, so, <laughs> I'm this is amazing to me. So basically, you do all this. So really, the only time you actually take in content for yourself to know what's going on is through podcast and maybe a couple highlights here or there. But everything else is just finding the next thing of what you're going to show. Yeah. Oh, and well, how many videos a week do you put out? Okay, uh, I try, I mean, you know, ideally it's like four or five okay. uh, a week, you know, maybe four, maybe a little over four. Uh, you know, it used to, on Twitter, it used to, whenever a good article would bubble up on my timeline and get retweeted enough by other people, then I would read it. I'm so stuck in my mentions now because there's so many of them. And, you know, and by the way, the, the key here to why B-Ball Breakdown is, is as big as it is and as successful as it is is because the, our tagline is, it's, it's not a channel, it's a conversation, you win. And um, it, that's, that's the whole key. I respond to everybody. And it's funny because now people will freak out. Oh, my God, you responded to my tweet. You follow me uh, for a few more minutes, you're going to realize I respond to everyone's tweets. Right. And they're not, they're not that <laughs> special. But, um, but that's also a really hard thing. That, that, and by the way, that is an issue family-wise. The wife doesn't like it. And I, and I acknowledge it and I'm working on it. But, um, you know, I'm in my mentions so much because it just comes flooding in by the hundreds and thousands that, like, I don't always get over the timeline anymore to see all those great articles that are bubbling up from all the good writers and all that stuff. I mean, I, I know it's writing because nobody else is doing the video. Correct, right. As well, I, you I know, I think you touch on, from a social media aspect, I mean, you're basically, you're servicing your audience is what you're doing. I mean, you're giving the content out there. And I think a lot of people, they put content out there, but they don't go ahead and have the conversation. They don't reach out to the different people, and that's what you end up hooking them to come back for more and more because you're you're a real person trying to get it out for them. Right, and like so, you know, everyone thinks I hate Russell Westbrook. Um, and <laughs> Do you hate Russell Westbrook? I I don't. You know what? I I think I'd probably enjoy hanging out with him. He seems like a kind of a nutty guy. Like his commercials seem like he might be really funny. Yeah. And um, but his game frustrates the hell out of me. And it's by the way, it is it, it wants breathtaking. And another time, it's it's maddening how you know the, the dumb mistakes he makes, um, and the reason why um, I think that I, I'm able to. I mean, I know people have stopped following me or blocked me or whatever because of those takes, but I do think that the majority of like Russ fans, for instance, they know that I will engage with them and I will have a back and forth. And a lot of times, it's sometimes it's contentious, and other times it's like, okay, hey, you got, I, I get it. Um, and I think that's that's the, the saving grace here. You know, if I didn't respond at all, I, I probably would engender even more ill will, which is you know, which is kind of death. You don't want to have people, too many people, mad at you. Um, you know, and uh, although that said, there is a, a value to having controversy and doing these videos that people are going to come to see. You know, like um, you know the Kawhi Leonard video I did about him traveling, right? Uh, that one's blown up, and it was. It, it, I did it, and, and everyone travels, right? In the NBA, that's, that's right. the argument. You're just singling out him. And by the way, there's there's been no bigger Kawhi fan than me. I was I was so far ahead of that train talking to people about how he's going to be a 25 point a game scorer, and you wouldn't believe how how awful the response was to me. I mean, people were just you know terrible. But but that's why it was more surprising to me than anything that he was the guy that was so guilty of this uh, of switching pivot feet. 
And, um, but again, it's controversial, and it, it gets people up and out of their seats a little bit, and that's all good, you know. But I'll always, you know, I always engage in, a, in an intelligent manner unless I get it first. If they come at me hard, then I usually sort of re- reflect what that is to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't always happen too much, but it's enough where, you know, it does happen. But again, what you said, it's a conversation. No, ESPN, you know, they just tell you what's going on, and right. you have to sit on your couch and take it. Well, you know, Coward doesn't respond to anybody. Uh, Bayless doesn't respond to anybody. You know, all those guys. Stephen A. Smith doesn't respond. But, you know, I'm there. I'm going to respond, and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. So I, one of the big questions I've had is, why do you do it? I mean, why do you sit here, spend hours watching video, losing sleep, family time, video? I mean, I, just why? Like, what's that why for it? <laughs> okay, I love, I love, uh, and this, it, the reason why I started the whole thing was, um, there's, there, there tends to be, um, in, uh, what's not the word, memes, uh, narratives that come out of the NBA analysis from a lot of people who aren't coaches. And it's wrong a lot of the time. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> my motivation is to be like, that's so wrong. This is what's really going on. And that, so like the start of the channel, B-Ball Breakdown, was rooted in uh, the 2009 first round series between the Celtics and the Bulls. It was uh, Rose's maybe rookie, <laughs> rookie year, I think. And um, it was an epic seven game series, but it was some of the worst basketball I'd seen played. Now, the Celtics were okay, but the Bulls' defense on Ray Allen was so bad, and Ray Allen was scoring like 40 a game. And, like, you know, the next round, they played against the, the Magic, and they got beat. And, and, you know, Ray Allen scored 9, 17 a game. Like, they finally had a good, you know, Stan Van Gundy is a good defensive oh, yeah. coach, yeah, and yeah. they understood how to properly play this. Vinny Del Negro was not a good defensive coach, or whoever was in charge of the defense at that point. And yet, all we could hear about how epic it was and how amazing. Look at these games. And so I was like, someone's got to tell them, someone's got to show them this. And so it's not like I'm out there just pontificating and, and just spouting off. I'm going to show you with HD video what is really going on. Um, and so I love, I love that. And then I also love finding things that no one else has seen to bring that out into light. So like the first one that hit was, um, you know, I was, I was going through Kyrie Irving's synergy stats. And a guy kept popping up in front of him through all the ratings and all the rankings. This is when this is the rookie year when Kyrie was getting all his hype. And it was Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm like, wait. And I kept looking. I started looking. So I did a video saying, is Isaiah Thomas, the Kings point guard, better than Kyrie Irving? And it went viral. They, they both watched it and, and responded on Twitter to it. And that, that got me, you know, the, my first taste of like, you know, oh, my God, the people are watching these things. Uh, but look where we are. You're right. And, and again, the, the hate that I had to deal with and endure <laughs> from that. And guess what? Who's the all-star? Right? Isaiah Thomas wasn't, yeah. wait, wasn't he the all-star this year? And I don't think Kyrie was, and whatever. But like, it's close if you're not going to say yes, it's it the same or whatever. I mean, maybe I think Isaiah's better at this point. I mean, they're both, they're both so good. But, uh, you know, I love that. And, you know, and, and so that's what motivates me to find those diamonds in the rough. Harrison Barnes, by the way, his rookie year when they, went to, they played against Denver, and he had an incredible uh, series as a rookie. And this was back before Steph was Steph. So I, I'm looking at it going, you know what? Harrison Barnes can be the best player on this team because mm-hmm. he can guard four positions. You know, and he, like Steph isn't six nine and can jump. Like you know, that that's a, it's, it's not his thing. But Harrison Barnes could, you know, and and he could shoot the three at a good, really elite level, and he could post up, and he can guard four positions. Like that's is more valuable than anything else that they'd ever need, right? And then you no, know, then Steph becomes Steph. But they, I never would leave that tweet. But that tweet's still out there, and every whenever someone wants to discredit me, they'll try and bring that up. But guess what happened? He goes to Dallas, 
and he scores, you know, 21 a game as their main guy. And while he might not have been the best player in the Warriors ever, whatever, and the guy, no one could have predicted Steph was going to become the two-time MVP, but, like, I think I'm a lot closer to what I saw, you know, because this guy's probably going to improve again. I bet you he'll, he'll score more next year. I bet, right. you know, they'll be a little bit better next year. He'll probably score 23 a game. That's not too far off, uh, you, know, on a good, on a, you know, on a good Western Conference team uh, than what I was saying. So that's what I really love is, is that seeing the things that no one else sees. I tell you, I mean, the basketball consumption that happens for you on an everyday basis, I wish there was a way to measure compared to other people. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be, be huge. I got, I got two more questions for you, Coach. The first question, well, the second to last question is this. When they make the motion picture film on you, who's playing Coach Nick? Oh, Wow. Who's going to play me? Jeez, I've never even really thought of that. I mean, I used to get the, the, the people used to think I looked like um, Ben Affleck. Okay, I but, can see that. But, um, but I, I don't think he's got the style or whatever. <laughs> who, who, you know what I mean? Um, gosh, who would be like, uh, you know, I, 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 who I would love it to be. I don't know if it's accurate at all, but I would love the Bill Murray from Meatballs to play me. That, that's the guy. <laughs> of all of yeah, <laughs> that's how I kind of wanted to be, you know, yeah. sort of a little bit off the wall, a little bit like, you know, because I, I tried to be that way. I mean, I know that I like structure too, but like I tried to sort of have that, that some sort of meter like that where, you know, we all understand that this is a game. Um, and uh, so th- if we could somehow conjure up Bill Murray from, from that era, that's who would play me. He'd be the guy. He'd yeah. be the guy. Right but by, by the way, that's, and I guess that's Ryan Reynolds to some degree who can kind of do it. Oh, no, I could see you, uh, Ryan Reynolds playing you, yeah. running around yeah. in here in the, right. from game to game, <laughs> putting stuff on yeah. social media. Or like, or like Vince Vaughn had that too, a younger yeah. version of Vince Vaughn. But yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's why. Those be. guys. I think those guys would be good. Yeah. All right, last question. You know, on, this, on the Be Contagious podcast, we, you, we really want to talk with a lot of people who are great leaders, communicators. You're a culture builder. You, you're, you're successful. Right, um, but in order for you to get there, you really got to fall in love with something to be successful. Like of all the things that you do, like what are you in love with to get to where you are today? Um, what am I in love with to get to where I am today? I mean, I, I guess does it? So this doesn't really count about coaching, or does it? Could it count about coaching? I mean, it's something like your inner drive. There's something inside of you that absolutely can't. It like you're drawn to it. Yeah, you know, it's just like that falling in love thing. You were drawn it every single day to do it, and even when you don't want to do it, you feel the responsibility to do it. Right. Like what wakes me up in the morning to be like, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think what it really is, it's, it's the, um, it's the, it's the reaction to the videos. And you know, obviously, I don't like it when it's a bad reaction. It doesn't always happen too often, but it does. Uh, but it's like when I do a good video. And people come and they, they start commenting how much they love it and they, whatever, and I could say thank you, whatever. That is my, I think that's what I really, my, my all time favorite part of it. So I just did one about Manu Ginobili. And it was great. And thanks. And it was like, you know, he had a great game. You know, not, not even for his standards all time, it was not great, but it was like he had a dunk that was like, whoa. So and I was able to tie in um, that game with his career and like how he's changed and what he's now and, and then tie it all back. And, you know, I, it kind of like, you know, a little bit, you, know, you might well up a little bit if you're a Manu fan. And the reaction to that has been so overwhelming. And that is what is so exciting to me. And that's what, made, that's what keeps me coming back for more. And I, 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 I fear that it sounds like I want adulation. Uh, and I'm looking for that. And um, I, I don't think that that's my motivation because I'm not interested in, in having the limelight or spotlight on me. It's more the work. 
right? And I think that's what they're talking about. It's the work. I mean, I didn't do much. I, I had a little bit of voiceover, and I did the editing, but it's Manu. And so um, I think that's what it is. I think it's, like, it's, it's to get that reaction of people, and they, and they see it, and like, ah, oh, yeah. And by the way, it's the same reaction you get as a coach, too. You know, that light bulb that goes off that kept me coming back for more uh, and, and reaching out to those kids who might have, you know, had no ability and then you work with them, and you work with them, right. and like they get, they get it, and then they're good, and then no one can believe it that they're good. You know, uh, it's that it's that uh, that notion that just you know that keeps me in love with the game. I think what people don't see is this really is an act of service. You know, I mean, there are people, thousands upon thousands of people, who are taking in your content and love it, loving it. You know, and and it's a service to them. You know, because they're able, you you basically break it down in a different way than the guys on, you know, the networks do or everything. You, you break it down in a regular guy, what type of way, which which I think is much more valuable than anything, which is why you have those viewership and, and everything else. So, right. Coach, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to get together. Yeah. And everything else. And please tell everybody where to find you, contact you, everything. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I, I, every time you're around, I, I'm always excited to see you because uh, it's, I just know the conversation is going to be uh, positive energy. And, that, and that's what you have. And you maybe we'll have to have you on my podcast and discuss what it is that you have built in because it's something there. Like even on the phone last night, I, like, after I hung up, I was like, you know, kind of walking a little bit more upright. Um, you know, <laughs> so you have that. Uh, and uh, anyway, to find me, uh, it's pretty much b-ball breakdown everywhere. Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Snap, um, YouTube, bballbreakdown.com. The podcast is the b-ball breakdown NBA podcast, uh, which, uh, you know, is, is a really good one too. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not hard to find me. And any time you're watching a basketball video on YouTube, you'll probably see some, one of mine on the right side suggested or something. So it's not too hard to find. That's awesome. Well, Coach, appreciate it, man. You are great. You are a light. You are absolutely contagious to everybody. Man. My, Thanks my so pleasure. much. Yes, I truly hope you enjoyed that Be Contagious Leadership podcast with Coach Nick of Be Ball Breakdown. I'm telling you right now, you've got to go on the site. You've got to go on YouTube. You've got to see all the content that he is spitting out because it's absolutely unbelievable. I hope you're having a great time with Be Contagious. I hope that we are making an impact on your life because you certainly are making one with us. Do me a favor. Please go on SoundCloud. Please go on iTunes. Share the love with somebody who wants and needs to hear this message. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Without you, we are nothing. So please, please, please continue to be the light, continue to be great, and continue to be contagious for the people around you. Till next time. Oh,